Welcome to Shekinah International Podcast. Our ministry reflects the five-fold ministry model Apostle Paul mentions in Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. Our podcast features leaders from multiple churches who are passionate about equipping Christians just like you to walk in purity and power, fulfilling your God-given purpose. God wants to do great exploits through you, so enjoy today's podcast. We thank you for, your, for this opportunity. Lord, we thank you for all that we've learned today, for these uh, faithful brothers to our right and to our left, and sisters, sorry, <laughs> brothers and sisters to our right and left. Father God, we uh, ask that the words that are spoken would be your words, and that the words that are for us, that we would hear the words. Lord, if there's anything wrong, that you would just forgive me. So, here it's a second. I, so, um, I was asked to talk about Tish Ba'av. Tish is the number nine, and Ba'av, Bu, means in or of, and Av, as uh, Stephanie said, means is the fifth month, and Av means father. You know, Abba comes from Av. So, anyway... I wanted to, what I wanted to do first of all was to introduce this book. So this is a really cool book because it was actually bought by my grandfather in 1938. <laughs> and um, he passed away in 1952, the year before, you know, I was born. But, um, and it's called the Jewish Festivals. And uh, what's really cool is these these different festivals, it it gives the way that they were practiced like at the time of Christ and in the Middle Ages and then recently. So there's uh, the changing of traditions. But one of the things in this book is a description of um, Tishba'av. And so this is not created by some Jew, by a Christian author. It's created by a Jewish. And so... Um, so that makes it, you know, in a way that makes it interesting because then you can do a compare and contrast, you know, to, to the, you know, the way that we would think about things. So what Tishba'av is, is it's the day of mourning. It's a day that we remember, you know, all the terrible things that happened. So one of those, the first one, was when the ten scry or the ten um, spies said, "Oh, it may be a beautiful land, but we can't do it." And so they discouraged all the people. The people came in rebellion, and then Moses had to deal with that rebellion. And uh, part of it was a judgment of God. You know, I was thinking as Stephanie was speaking, um, Joshua and Caleb. So their names are special because Joshua is like a variation on Yeshua, and it means salvation. And Caleb means dog, and the characteristic of a dog is loyalty. So here we have salvation, and we have loyalty, um, making the right decision and making the right statements. So um, 
So what happened on Tishbaav? Well, it wasn't just the uh, the ten who, you know, gave the bad report, but it was more than that because both the first and the second temple were destroyed on that date. And Simon Bar Kokhba, I don't know if you know that name, but around 133 AD, you know, the temple had been destroyed in 70 AD, and then there came a general um, called Simon Bar Kokhba, and he was accompanied by a man, a rabbi Akiba, and anyway, they started a rebellion, and, and uh, Simon Bar Kokhba was seen as a possible Messiah. But then there was a, a, um, a battle of Batar in 133 AD, and, uh, and, and what, they, what he had hoped to do was to break away from Rome and to rebuild the third temple, you know, that had been destroyed. But what happened instead was that he and his, his army were totally destroyed by the Romans, and then a year later, the Romans went, they took apart Jerusalem, they plowed the fields, they built a new city, they called that city Capitolina, and they um, built temples on top of it. And, and these temples were temples to the Greco-Roman gods who would have been idols. So it was, uh, it was complete uh, despair. So he was no longer, he was seen as a historical figure, but he was unsuccessful, so he was not the Messiah. And then on that date, sometime in the 1500s or 1400s, I'm not sure, the Jews were expelled from England on that date, and then there was the Spanish Inquisition that started on that date, and then World War I started on that date, and then a year after World War One, the Russians started rounding up the Jewish population, and all these disasters. And the actual day this year in our calendar is July 27. The Jewish calendar, it's the month of Av in the year 5783. And for any who might not know, you know, we take our calendar from the birth of Jesus, you know. Jewish people take their calendar from the actual creation of the world which is also the creation of time. So 5783 would be a pretty cool, you know, date because it's 5783 years since time began. So anyway, um, so how is um, Tishba of celebrated? Well, it's celebrated by the chanting of the Book of Lamentations, by reciting prayers for mourning, sitting on the ground or on stools, and as the day of mourning, one's expected to refrain from smiling or laughing or, or chatting in an idle way. You know, it's, it's supposed to be a day of mourning. And so on this day, pious Jews sit on the ground with their heads bowed low. They recite with a tearful, heartbreaking chant the mournful odes of lamentation, those cries of woe re-echoed in every Jewish poem of sorrow ever written. Now the children, and I'm, I'm taking some of these descriptions from this book. 
The children see Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah. Here he is. He's bent and he's broken. He's going to the cave of Machpelah to ask the patriarchs of Israel to pray to God and to beg him to have mercy on their children and not to see, not to allow the destruction. Now the scene quickly changes. And the children see Nebuzaradan, the great general, you know, under Nebuchadnezzar, mighty of build, a naked sword in his hand, slaughtering thousands of Jews, both men and women, old and young, in order to still the seething blood of Zechariah. Wait, 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 wait. Did I say that correctly? Let me reread that. They saw the seething blood of Zechariah, the priest and the prophet that was slain by the Jews centuries before in the temple. The children's anger is soon allayed, however, because then they're told by the teacher, according to this book, that later in life, General Nebuzaradan was converted and he became a Jew, you know, just like Ruth. So, sorry, so, <laughs> my voice is not modulated. So what did the Jewish people have against the prophet Zechariah that they slew him in the temple? And the book of Zechariah offers some ideas, and it included a hardness of heart to his message. So they got mad at him because of the things that he was saying. So here we have, again from the book, a question arose during the second temple when it was still in the course of construction because Zechariah came after maybe Nehemiah and uh, he was a contemporary of Haggai. And it's told in the book of Zechariah in chapter 7 that in the fourth year of the Persian king Darius in 518 B.C., a delegation came to the temple of Jerusalem to ask the priests and the prophets whether it was still necessary to observe the fast of the fifth month. They asked if it was still necessary to mourn on the fifth month. And Zechariah's answer to this was that fasting had nothing to do with God, that men neither fast eat or men neither eat nor fast for the sake of God, but both are done in answer to human needs. So in other words, he's, he was saying that the feasting and the fasting is not moving the heart of God, but it's something that, you know, for people. And there is therefore no answer to be given in the name of God, since God demands neither feasting nor fasting of men. He only asks that they practice justice and mercy, goodness and compassion, that they oppress not the lowly and the weak. Zechariah further told them that the time of fasting in general would soon pass. In the fast days of the fourth, the fifth, the seventh, and the month, seventh and the tenth months would become days of joy. So this holiday has been celebrated. It was not 
part of Leviticus 23. It's not commanded in the Torah. You know, it's done. But, uh, you know, according to Zechariah, this is not to be the focus of the people of God. You know, mourning and fear and, and uh, stuff like that. So now we get to, um, that's from the book, but I'm going to read now from Zechariah chapter 7, 8 through 14. It says, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah. Thus says the Lord of hosts, render true judgments, show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless or the sojourner or the poor and let none of you devise evil against one another in your hearts. That's the word of God. This was the response. But they refused to pay attention. They turned a stubborn shoulder. They stopped their ears that they might not hear. They made their hearts like flint, lest they should hear the law and the words that the Lord of hosts had sent by his spirit through the former prophets, and therefore great anger came from the Lord of hosts. This is chapter 7. And as I called, they would not hear, so they called, and I would not hear, said the Lord of hosts. And I scattered them with a whirlwind among the nations that they had not known. Thus the land was they left was desolate, and no one went to or fro and the pleasant land, which is always called Israel, was made desolate. Now this, this chapter seven is very important because this is a foretelling, this is a prophetic foretelling of what happened when Jesus came several hundred years later. You know, that, that even though he came, you know, what did he come? He came healing the sick, he came feeding the hungry, you know. He came healing the souls and the spirits of men and directing them, and they would not have it. And it really foretold. And when Jesus came and, and they would not, for, you know, hear and obey and follow, then they made their hearts like flint. And then they were scattered among the nations after Jesus and, um, and the land did become desolate, and it remained desolate for thousands of years. You know, it remained desolate until, until Israel was restored in, in 1948. And you can um, listen to that report of Mark Twain in the, in the 1870s, you know, that there was no one. You know, they came in, and the land was... Um, you know, it was full of uh, swamps and there were no trees and all this kind of stuff. So, so that was prophecy fulfilled. It says, here are the words of Jesus. Shortly before entering Jerusalem, when he rode on a donkey in Matthew 23, he, say, he said, Behold, I'm sending prophets and wise men and scribes. Some of them you'll kill and crucify. Some you'll flog in your synagogues and persecute from city to city so that upon you will follow the guilt of the righteous blood shed on the earth and the blood of righteous Abel 
to the blood of Zechariah. So he's making that connection. The son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar, the seething blood, I might say. Truly I say to you, he didn't, Jesus didn't say that, I'm just, um, truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. Jesus didn't say it would come upon every generation, but, but this generation was a, you know, was a foolish generation. So, so this is what I asked. Do Zachariah's words about forsaking mourning and focusing on generosity toward people, toward the hurting, do they seem unreasonable? As Samuel said to King Saul in 1 Samuel 15.22, has the Lord great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. Listen to Isaiah's words. So, so Samuel said, no, 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 no. <laughs> it's not about the offerings. It's not about the sacrifices. It's not about the mourning. But it is about obedience, and it is listening to the voice of God. And this is what Isaiah said, you know, God's perfect fast in Isaiah 58. Why, this is what men say, this is what people say, why have we fasted and you don't see? And why have we humbled ourselves and you don't take notice? And this is the Lord's response. On the day of your fast, you find your desire, your desire, not my desire, your desire. On the day of your fast, you find your desire. It is a fast like this that I choose, a person, a day for a person. I'm sorry, I got that wrong. Is it, a, is it a fast like this that I choose, a day for a person to humble himself? Is, is it for bowings when one's head like a reed? I mean, is that what a fast is? And for spreading out sackcloth and ashes, weeping, you know, this is what I, you know, sounds like Isaiah. Will you call this a fast, even an acceptable day of the Lord? Is this not a, is this not the fast that I choose? So God describes his kind of fast. To release the bonds of wickedness. To undo the ropes of the yoke. To let the oppressed go free. To break every yoke. Is it not to break your bread with the hungry? and to bring the homeless poor into the house. And when you see the naked to cover him, and not to hide yourself from your own flesh, and then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your recovery will spring up quickly, and your righteousness will go before you. So, this, is, this sounds like what Jesus said when he was in Nazareth, when he revealed himself, you know, as Messiah. He says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord anointed me to bring good news to the humble. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, 
to proclaim release to captives, freedom to prisoners, and proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, and to comfort all who mourn. You know, of course, of course, we remember, um, you know, uh, <laughs> sorry. we remember Matthew uh, 25, you know, where he's, he talks about, um, you know, <laughs> did you feed me when I was hungry? Did you give me drink when I was thirsty? Did you visit me in the hospital and in the prison? This is the way that we fast before God. This is the way that we offer ourselves. This is something that, um, that makes us look more like Jesus. And when we make more like Jesus, then we represent Jesus to the world. Because Jesus has to see the goodness and the compassion and the faithfulness, the gentleness, the love, you know, the, um, they need to see who God is and they see God through us if we're willing to be conformed to the image of Jesus, if we're willing to act in the same way that Jesus did, then there's love and there's power and people can be saved. I want to say that. So I've given this picture. Whoops. If I can, oops. <laughs> I'm trying to find this. No, not that one. Um. I just, oh, I know where it is, sorry. Okay, I've given a pretty bleak picture of the Jewish people <laughs> and I don't want to do that totally because, because I love them. So, um, so the Jewish people rejected Jesus just as it was prophesied in, in Zechariah chapter seven and um, and Jesus said, you know, in the last verse of chapter of Matthew 23, you won't see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So then there was, you know, they still haven't said that as, as a nation yet, and that comes in the great tribulation. And because of this spread of time, 2,000 years now, um, the gospel has had the opportunity to travel around the world. And the Lord has saved hundreds of millions of people through these 2,000 years. If, you know, two seconds after they said, you know, they said, oh, we re repent, we repent, blessed is he who comes in, in the name of the Lord, then there would have been no opportunity um, for the world to hear the gospel. It has gone around the world. So there is a rhyme and a reason and it's not just hardness of heart, but I believe it's also the plan of God. And then, so we know that we're to do good deeds. You know, we, and the good deeds are not ones that we invent and it doesn't save us. But the good needs are, good deeds are something that we're directed to by the Holy Spirit. And um, it doesn't save us, but but when we are saved, according to Ephesians 2, you know, good deeds will come out of it. And the good deeds are really reflecting who Jesus is to a dying world. Um, the Jewish people also believe in good deeds. In fact, when 
When I was 13, I was bar mitzvah, and the word bar means son of, and mitzvah means law, but it also means good deeds. And, and for the Jewish people, good deeds mean obeying the Torah. And according to the Torah, you know, there's all these laws. The problem is, is that, you know, when they look at the laws, they think, well, obeying the law can save us. But I think many times the laws were done to reveal the nature of God. So when it says, don't boil a calf in its mother's milk, it was because that would be a cruel thing to do. I mean, it was just obviously cruel. You know, when it talks about um, mildew or when it talks about, you know, a lot of things, it's, it's about love and it's not about, you know, it's not about, well, if you do this by the letter of the law and then you build laws around laws around laws, then, you know, maybe you won't transgress this law. No, it's, it, they were too... You know, when, when he gave them dietary laws and sanitation laws, when the um, Black Plague came across Europe and they were following the Mosaic Law, they weren't getting sick the way that others were getting sick. You know, and it's because God made these laws out of love and not just, well, you know, I, I want to stomp on you and I want to create a lot of laws and I want to see if you can, you know, squeeze yourself into doing them. You know, so it's a, it was just a different way of... So in Judaism, um, one thing you can do to appear righteous before God is to study not only the Torah, but the Mishnah, which is a commentary of the Torah, and then a Talmud, which is a commentary on the Mishnah. And, you know, if you spend endless hours, then you're considering doing a good deed, and then you do all these laws, and you... You know, and it's uh, it's just not, I mean, they're trying to do good, but of course it's it's not God's way of doing good, you know. I mean, doing good means helping the needy, you know, and all this kind of stuff as we've been talking about. Um, so the Catholic Church, you know, I, I just looked this up a few days ago. Okay, so the Catholic Church was, you know, always has Jesus on the cross, and um, and for centuries they were, they were, you know, the, you know, the Jews were just known as the Christ killers, you know, and and they didn't do themselves any good when they said His blood be upon us and upon our children, you know, I mean it it was kind of a backfire thing, but it was in the scripture. And um, and then the the Catholics were saying, well, you know, because what what they're doing is they, um, you know, they're just going to be wayward until those end days. And so, you know, they. But I want to tell you that God never abandoned His people, that God does not break His covenant, that some some of these promises of God are reliant upon our cooperation. You know. But some of them are unilateral. And what, whether we do what's right or wrong, God does what he said he would do. And one of these is, um, you know, is, is in, um, sorry, is in Genesis 12, 3, when he says, I'll bless those who bless you and curse those who curse. It doesn't, there wasn't a condition on there. And there's also not a condition about their salvation during the tribulation. If you look in Zechariah, which we're about to do in, in 12 through 14, 
uh, God just says he'll do it. So, anyway. So, let's go back as we're proceeding here. And thankful. <laughs> um, okay, so now we're going to... Um, I just want to look at Zechariah 12, and we're, we're kind of winding up here pretty soon. It says in Zechariah 12, 1 through 3, and then verse 10, it says that the oracle of the word of the Lord concerning Israel, for thus declares the Lord who stretched out the heavens, and he founded the earth, and he formed the spirit of man within him. Behold, I'm about to make Jerusalem a cup of staggering to all the surrounding peoples. The siege of Jerusalem, I'm sorry, behold, okay. The siege of Jerusalem will be against Judah, and on that day I'll make Jerusalem a heavy stone for all peoples. All who lift it will surely hurt themselves, and all the nations of the earth will gather against it. Well, isn't this interesting, you know? Um, that all the nations, and as they say, they'll be alone. All the nations, including the United States. You know, I mean, so what is this hatred? I mean, it's a supernatural hatred. I want to read this. Um, I hope I still have this. Oh, yeah. I want to read this uh, just a little bit here. There's this, um, there's an excellent devotional that I've been getting for many years. And um, um, it comes from Israel, from the Wittens. And uh, so I just want to read a couple of things here. It says, um, it says right here, and he just wrote this yesterday. He wrote, Israel is attacked on Twitter for human rights violations more than any other country in the world. In fact, Israel is attacked on Twitter 111 times more often than North Korea is attacked for lack of civil rights. I don't know if you know about North Korea, but they... They recently sentenced a two-year-old to life in prison in their, in their concentration camp. It's, it's because the parents were found with a Bible. And so three generations have to spend their lives in this prison camp. And, uh, and the third generation is a two-year-old. So the two-year-old will... And Israel is the only democracy, you know, in the Middle East. And... Um, it allows all faiths to practice their religion, and they, you know, they're set up, you know, but, but Israel is still attacked 111 times more often than North Korea. So that is called anti-Semitism, but an anti-Zionism also. These other three, this is uh, really fast. It says, in Afghanistan... Christians face death, but the gospel is 
still going forward. This gospel is going forward in, in Afghanistan even as Afghan Christians face worsening conditions and ongoing mortal danger under the ruling Taliban Islamic terror regime, according to international Christian concern. In Pakistan, a Christian man was detained on charges of blasphemy for sharing on Facebook a post with some Bible verse. You know, I mean, it's called blasphemy against Islam. And then, listen to this one. It says, there's no religious freedom in China. A Chinese pastor tells the U.S. House Select Committee, a pastor who led his entire church of over 60 people out of China to escape persecution there has there has testified to the U.S. Congress that there is no religious freedom in his country of origin. So it's not just Israel and the Jews who face persecution, but also the church. And it should not be a surprise to us because we all have a common enemy of our souls. Satan is out to get us. I mean, and... Because he's out to get us, then we have to fight the, that spiritual battle with our spiritual weapons. And if we do, then we find protection. But as I say, Israel doesn't have Ephesians 6 in its Bible. So when we pray for the church, we pray for families. It's good also to pray for Israel and for the peace of Jerusalem. So just... Um, so here's Zechariah 14, 1 through 5. It says, Behold, a day is coming for the Lord. Oh, by, oh, I'm sorry. I missed one very important verse in 12. It says, I'll pour on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me, on whom they have pierced, they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps for a firstborn. So Israel will be saved. They will be saved. But, and they're only saved after the church is raptured. So the time of the Gentiles ends. The gospel has gone around the world. You know, it, it started in Asia Minor you know, in, in Israel, it went to Europe, it went to the United States, America, and to South America, you know, it, you know, it, it's been coming, it, you know, and then it, I'm not sure about India, but it, certainly China, you know, and, uh, and now, you know, Africa is growing, the church is growing very rapidly, and the church is growing in, in uh, Pakistan, and Egypt and Iran and, um, you know, God's grace in Afghanistan, you know. Um, it seems to go in a circle, but, you know, we're coming, you know, to this point. And, um, but anyway, um, but it will come to Israel during the tribulation. And in Zechariah 14, 1 through 5, behold, it is coming for the Lord. When a spoil taken from you will be divided in your midst, behold, I will gather all the nations 
against Jerusalem to battle. The city will be taken, the houses plundered, the women ravished, half the city will go into exile, but the rest of the city will not be cut off. And then the Lord will go and the Lord will fight against all those nations as when he fights on a day of battle. And on that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives that lies between Jerusalem on the east and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west by a very wide valley so that half the mount shall move northward and the other half southward and you shall flee um, sorry, to the valley of my mountains for the valley of the mountains shall reach to Azal and you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah the king. And then it says, then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. So who are these holy ones who are coming with him to the Mount of Olives? It's us. It's us because we were raptured and then there's a tribulation and then Jesus is coming back and the whole world sees him and his holy ones are coming with him to the earth. And there's going to be a new, new Jerusalem on the earth, a fourth Jerusalem, and we're going to be with them. So, so it says in Colossians 3, verse 4, when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. I think this is the same thing. He appears, we appear with him, in glory, without sin, as victors, conquering, you know, Jesus has conquered the, the Antichrist and we're coming with him in glory. And just a, just a couple closing words here. It says, here, just a second. Oh, I'm sorry, a little bit more. Maybe a couple words times 10. <laughs> It says, um, God does, want, does not want us to mourn our past. He doesn't want to live by man-made rules, us to live by man-made rules, or to trust in our abilities to wash ourselves from sin. You know, you remember that David in Psalm 51 asked God to wash him. He didn't say, oh, I'm going to wash myself, you know, by through self-righteousness, he said, God, you have to do the washing. Of course, he wants us to resist sin, but our lives should be a praise to God, and we should learn from Psalm 119 that we hide his word in our hearts that we might not sin against him. In 1 Corinthians 13, 5, we learn that perfect love keeps no record of wrongs. If, if that's what perfect love, you know, Psalm 13, then God, the perfect lover, does this perfectly. Um, in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from unrighteousness. Rashi, the great rabbi and commentator, 1000 AD, taught that 
Israel was the suffering servant. They said, well, you know, here we are. We're the, we're the righteous ones. We're cleaning ourselves up. We're trying to do what's right. And so they saw, he, he said, Israel is a suffering servant of, you know, because he wouldn't give any credit to Jesus. He said, we're the suffering servant. Oh, you know, in the whole world, you know. Um, but we know that's Jesus, the suffering servant. In Zechariah 7, it's prophesied that, again, that they would have hearts of flint. But what did Zechariah basically say? He echoed Micah 6, 8. He has shown thee, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of thee? But to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. They rejected the message, but not forever. Zechariah 12 through 14, it's the great tribulation. Um, Two-thirds of the Jews are going to die, you know, in Israel because the whole world's going to come against them. Um, the mark of the beast, you know, is going to be revealed. And, um, you know, in the middle. But there's going to be 144,000 Jewish evangelists, 12,000 from each tribe. There's going to be two prophets, you know, who people believe are Moses and Elijah. And um, and there's these 144,000 won't take the mark of the beast, and they will be sealed, and the enemy won't be able to destroy them. And the people are going to... Um, of Israel, many will, will um, go to Jordan. And it says in the book of Daniel that um, that God's hand is going to be over them, you know, over Moab and Ammon, the, you know. Um, there's going to be a protection. God's word will come about just as he said. And then it says, um, her return just as Matthew 23, 39 said, you know, when they say, Baruch B'Shem blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Almost done here. Um, why does the Lord want us to focus on worshiping him and doing good to our neighbor instead of focusing on our failures and cleansing ourselves from sin? Why has he chosen this path, you know? It's because sin is always self-focused. In the middle, this is what we used to say in, in church. Sin is small s, big I, and small n. Sin is focused on ourselves. And legalism gives room for the, to the devil for condemnation and to the practitioner for pride and reliance. When we love God and we love our neighbor, we shift our focus from ourselves, from the big I. I can do this, my righteousness, all of that. We, we shift it from ourselves. We shift it away from ourselves toward God and toward people because we're supposed to love God with all of our hearts and love our neighbor. It's, it's the way that God designed it. And when we remain on the vine of Jesus as his branches, we develop the fruit, not by striving and self-effort, 
You know, God naturally does it in, in us. The fruit of the Spirit is, like I said, love, joy, peace, patience, faithfulness, goodness, goodness, I mean, gentleness and kindness, self-control. And um, it's not the only kind of good works because, um, you know, there's a, a work that's directed by the Spirit, but, and as Stephanie said in the past, it's also the protection of God, trusting in God, being directed. All of these are the fruit of the Spirit. And I want to conclude with number six, ironic blessing. So here we go. Yivrechecha Adonai v'yishmerecha. The Lord bless you and keep you. Ya'ar Adonai panav alecha v'yihunecha. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Yisa Adonai panav alecha v'yasim lecha shalom. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. God bless you. Amen. Thank you for listening today. Take a moment and ask Holy Spirit what he wants you to do with what you've learned. And remember, with God, all things are possible. So keep dreaming, keep praying, and simply obey. Because God is good and he has good plans for you. You can subscribe to our blogs, learn about our speakers, and even hear from one of our team members how you can take part in transforming a city, your city with Christ. There's no time like the present. Visit ShekinahOnline.com. If this doesn't excite you, watch for our new and God-inspired product line, a newly released book by Stephanie Butler, more testimonies from our listeners like you, working to bring unity in cities across the world. If you feel led to support our podcast, you may do so on our Shekinah.com website. Or if you would like to support us monthly, there is a link labeled Listener Support on every podcast. Until next time, we thank you, we love you, have a blessed day.